Dear Lord, we thank you for your love, your kindness, your mercy towards us in that whilst we were sinners, you sent your son down to die for us. You've been so good and we just can't thank you enough. Please may you be with us now as we come to today's message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The reality is, um, when I look at my own life, I mean, they keep, I don't know, I mean, I'm on the youth team, but youth, 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 the word youth is a, what's the word I'm looking for? Depending on where you are, people have got different definitions of youth. So in, in church, technically I'm youth, but in other spaces, I'm not youth. So today's message is kind of me um, giving three points that I would say have helped me, have helped me. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm thinking about some of the younger youth who, who had a difficult time this week with, with their A-level results and, and, and people in general who have had to face certain hurdles. Um, so I was baptized long time ago, um, long time ago, long time ago, long time ago. Pastor jean I think he's pastoring in the SEC now in London. I think so. And Pastor jean um was the guy that did my baptism. Um, this, is, this is years back. This is years back. This was at Oxford Street. Oxford Street. It actually says Oxford Street. It's not called Oxford Street anymore. It's called Wolverhampton Central. Um, I was baptized in Oxford Street. And um, when I think back to um, this young guy here that's on your screen, not the one... Not me, but the one on the screen. When I look back at him, when I was a real youth, not this pseudo type of youth that, that, that I'm in now, but when I was a real young person, when I look back at that guy there, um, I look back, and this is a picture that I've shown in different, different places when I'm trying to make this point. I, I look back and I think that this young guy here had so much potential. He was full of dreams. He was full of aspirations. Um, he probably in his mind, he thought he was gonna be retired by 21 and, and, and just doing whatever he was supposed to be doing. I don't know, he, he, was, full of, he was full of hopes. He was full of, he was full of you name it. Um, he, he was full. His cup was full of hopes, of energy, of passion, of drive. Um, he had grand ideas, he had hopes, he had things that he wanted to accomplish, he had places that, that, that he wanted to go, things that he wanted to aspire to do. I want to trace my life from, from this moment here, this moment here, on this day here, to today. What I can say to the young people watching the NEC Youth Programme today is that you will not anticipate some of the hurdles that life is gonna send at you. You won't anticipate them. As you go through um, how life is, 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 how life is, as you go through how life is, I know it's not a proper sentence, but I think you get the point that I'm trying to make. As you go through your life experiences, as you go from this youth stage to an older stage, to an even older stage, as you grow, definitely you'll be facing hurdles. And as you face your hurdles, um, many times 
they'll hit you by surprise and you don't realize or you'll end up in spaces and in situations that you didn't think you'll do some of the things that you'll have done and you didn't realize that you're as weak as you are and you didn't realize that you just didn't realize that you needed help outside of yourself to be able to overcome the things that you're going to have to overcome. This is my last slide and then I'm gonna crack on with what I'm saying. What I'm realizing more and more, what I'm realizing more and more as we're starting this, this journey today, looking at overcoming hurdles through Christ. What I'm realizing more and more is that oftentimes the Christian experience is something similar to bursting through concrete, bursting through concrete. And we've all seen this, what I've put up on the screen here. If I go outside, I could have, I could have taken a picture from outside my, 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 my back garden. We've all seen this, where you've seen some grass or some leaves or some flowers, or some type of plant life come through the concrete um, that's on top of it, despite the fact that the concrete was covering it completely initially, but somehow, even though concrete is stronger than the plant life, the plant life has grown past that which was stronger than it and sprouted despite the situations that's been, that, it, that, it, that it's found on top of it. I'm suggesting in this sermon, and I've been suggesting it in a few Zooms that I've been doing recently, that the Christian experience is one where you're going to have to surpass the insurmountable. That the things that are on top of you can sometimes seem like they're stronger than you, can sometimes seem like it's bigger than you, can sometimes seem like it's more than you. And you might find yourself in a situation where you just didn't think, man, I'm supposed to be baptized. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Or, or, or maybe it's not that type of situation. Maybe it's one like it's your A-level results where your social economic background was taken into consideration. The fact that you live in the North as opposed to the South was taken into consideration. The fact that um, your, 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 I don't know, I don't know, you, you went to the school that you went to was taken into consideration. The fact that your teachers Believe, didn't, didn't believe in you or didn't believe in you was taken into consideration, but your actual ability wasn't taken into, I mean, I mean, it's just crazy. Maybe that's the hurdle. But what I'm realizing is, is that through Jesus Christ, the Christian has an advantage, has a growing power, has something about them that can take them beyond the concrete that sometimes they can find on top of them. I'm hoping this makes sense. hoping this makes sense. And so as we go into today's um, sermon, keep in mind that we can overcome life's hurdles through, like, like that's my sentence, that's my sentence, that's my sentence. If you forget everything that I'm saying today, that's my sentence. You can overcome life's hurdles through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, turn that with me if you have your Bibles, please. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, reading from verse 23, Paul 
describes some of his hurdles. He describes some of them. Other ministers of Christ, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant. I, I, I am more, sorry, in labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my, by, by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. Who is weak? Paul says. Am I not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Here, Paul describes some of the hurdles that he's had to overcome. Um, he describes some of the concrete that he's had to grow through. I'm really excited about this sermon. I hope you grab these points. I really do. I really do. I really do. Because this one spoke to me individually. So, so really, I'm, I know I'm saying it like I framed it for the young people, but really, I'm speaking to me. And hopefully somebody else grabs onto something that I'm saying to myself this morning or this afternoon. Paul here describes some of the hurdles that he's gone through. I've always been amazed when I look at the responses of some of the Bible heroes of faith to the hurdles that they have to jump over, to the barriers that they have to push down. Always been surprised. Always been surprised. Um, Paul and Silas are, are beaten. They're thrown into prison. They're, they're, in, they're going through an insurmountable barrier, it would seem. They're, they're locked up in stocks in a Roman dungeon. And in a Roman dungeon, after being beaten and put in stocks, Paul and Silas are singing. Peter, in Acts chapter 12, um, is thrown in prison. One of the other apostles has just been executed and it's looking like Peter's about to be executed. Um, and whilst he's in prison, soon to be executed, it's nighttime, Peter's asleep. Just deep that for a moment. Deep that for a moment. Many of us, if we've got an exam the next day, we can barely sleep. Sometimes when I'm preaching, uh, the day before I'm preaching, I can barely sleep. If I've got something big to do, sometimes so Peter's about to be, he might be executed the next day. He's fast asleep. To the point that when the angel comes, the angel has to wake him up. And I'm just wondering, what makes a person who's in prison and um, has been locked up and uh, they're in that moment their capacity, they're just on a different wavelength. They're just on a different way of thinking. They're singing praises to God. Um, when everybody else would have been worried, completely scared, completely frightened, Peter's got a peace which surpasses all understanding to the point that when an angel appears, he just carries on sleeping and the angel has to wake him. When these giants of faith dealt with their hurdles, it seemed like the hurdles that they faced 
couldn't stop them from actualizing their potential? What was going through their mind? I want to look at three points in this sermon. Three points. Um, it's not a long sermon, and we'll be finished soon. But I want to look at three points that I think the Christian needs to bear in mind that can help them overcome, push down their barriers, overcome their hurdles. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Three points. Turn with me, please, to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then after Jeremiah, if I'm, yes, after Jeremiah, you've got Lamentations. Now, the book of Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, it was written just when um, Babylon has now conquered Jerusalem. Um, I, I was listening to someone describe the scene. It sounded terrible. Sounded terrible. Um, mothers had their babies ripped from their arms. Um, when the person was describing the scene, it, they were saying that, that women were being raped in the, in the streets. Um, houses were, were being, um, what's the word I'm looking for, knocked down and, and slaves were being made and people were dying, people were being conquered. Babylon came in, rushed the place and took slaves. This is when Daniel and his, his, his three Hebrew friends that were carried off to Babylon. And, and Jeremiah describing what was taking place. Um, if you go to um, chapter one, verse one, how doth the city um, sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become a, as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How has she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she had none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her and they are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All our persecutors overtook her between the straits. Um, in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is writing, and he's just giving a full lamentation about the whole scenario. Um, listen into, to chapter 3. Listen to chapter 3, and look at verses 6, 7, and 8. He has set me in dark places, as they that be dead of old. He has hedged me about, that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. Get what's going on here. Have you ever felt like you're in a situation? You're facing a barrier. You have come to a hurdle. You're in such a dark place where you feel as though God shut your prayers out. Not even prayer can help you at this moment with this one because the situation is so rough. You're not sure how you're going to overcome it. Jeremiah says he was in the same situation. I want to know this afternoon, is there something that Jeremiah did that helped Jeremiah overcome his hurdle? His hurdle. In the midst of the chaos of captivity from Babylon taking over Jerusalem, in the midst of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the results of war, in the midst of feeling like God has forsaken you, in the midst of feeling like you're by yourself, what does Jeremiah do to frame himself, to position himself, to overcome the situation that he's in 
How does he make sure he's in the stage of a growth mindset? He tells you what he does in verse 21 of chapter 3 of Lamentations. This oracle to mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. For the soul to seek, that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Get this. Jeremiah says, when I'm in my dark place and all I can see is hurdle around me, when my back's against the wall and I feel like prayer, not even prayer, is working for me. He says, at that moment in time where I'm tempted to think these types of thoughts, what I purposely do is I intentionally bring something to mind. I bring to mind that it's because of the Lord's mercies why I'm not consumed. The fact that I'm alive today is a testament to God's mercy. The fact that I'm alive this morning or this afternoon is a testament to God's compassion. And the fact that I'm able to even say this prayer and to call out to God is a testament to the fact that God is actually for me. He's not against me. And what um, Jeremiah does in his situation, in his hurdle, he reminds himself that God is for him. He's not against him. Even when it feels like God is against me, he reminds himself that God is for me. Um, still commenting on this, on this, on this, on this time, this time process, this, this period in time, um, Jeremiah decides to write a letter to the people who were captive in Babylon. So to the exiles that were in Babylon, Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem, and he decides to write them a letter. You find this letter in Jeremiah chapter 9, 29, sorry. So you come back, Jeremiah chapter 29. These are people that have been taken as exiles. These are people that have been taken as slaves. These are people that have been taken to Babylon. And these are people that they're thinking their potential to overcome the hurdle that they're in has been dashed. The window of opportunity for them has been left. Um, they're in a situation where you've got other people telling them what they can do, what they can't do. And in verse one of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which are carried away captives to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Jeremiah is writing them a letter. We've seen how Jeremiah is dealing with his hurdles and, and we've seen what Jeremiah is thinking of in the book of Lamentations and he wants to give some encouragement to the captives in Babylon at that time, and he puts pen to paper, he gets someone to write the letter, and in verse 11, you're seeing some of the things that he's trying to do to encourage the people, and in verse 11 he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Let me read it in the New Living Translation. For I know the plans, I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you hope and a future. Wait a minute. 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 I'm in captivity. I've been taken from my homeland. 
I'm a captive. Everything that I've ever worked for, it feels like has been taken from me in a moment. This is unprecedented. It's more than coronavirus. It's, it's, it's more than my A-level results not going according to plan. It's more than some of the things. I'm in captivity. And in that moment, God wants the people to know that even though your circumstances feel like they're working against you, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Point number one is this. When you're facing your hurdles, when you're facing your trials, when you're facing your barriers, remember that Christ is for you. He's not against you. Christ is for you. He's not against you. Remind yourself of what God has done for you. And even when you're not in the circumstances or in the circumstance or you're in a situation where you feel like you can help yourself, remember that God is fighting for you. We're going to touch more on that in a moment. But remember that God is fighting for you. Do you remember that, that scenario where Samuel came to anoint King David? Sorry, to anoint the next king of Israel. And he has a committee meeting with Jesse. And Jesse's there and Jesse's brought some of his, his other sons into the committee. And if it was up to Samuel, um, he would have anointed one of Jesse's other sons to become king. David wasn't in the meeting to advocate for himself. David wasn't in the meeting to be of influence for himself. David wasn't even aware the meeting was going to be. But Jesse's here, Samuel's here. Jesse's looking from the outward appearance and a committee meeting is taking place that could potentially influence the next king of Israel, which could potentially stop David from reaching his particular potential. It's a hurdle that David's not even aware of, but God was for David. And so because God was for David, even though David wasn't able to do something for himself, God intervened in the meeting and told Samuel, stop looking at the outward appearance. I'm a God who looks at the heart. God is for you. Even when you're not aware of it, even when you don't realize it, God's working for you on your behalf. Realize and remember and call to mind, even in your darkest moments, that God is for you. Point number two, we're going to move quickly. We're going to move quickly. Point number one, when facing hurdles, remember that Christ is for you. Point number two, Psalm 91. Psalm 91 has been a very powerful psalm to me throughout my life. I've had many people quoting it, actually. Many people quoting it as we've gone through this coronavirus. Um, and because I love it so much, just indulge me, please. I'm going to read the whole thing for you. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, and there shall no evil before thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. 
Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample on defeat, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. And I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and shew him my salvation. In this psalm, um, the author's writing, um, and he lets us know that this psalm, in this psalm, God is protecting you. In life situations, um, God's a shield. He's, he, he's shielding you. He's protecting you. He, he's intervening you, intervening for you. A thousand's falling at your one side and ten thousand's falling at your other side, and, but it's not coming by you. He's, he's sending angels to keep charge over you. Um, but in verse four, that's what's got my attention this afternoon. Verse four says, listen carefully. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. We all know what a shield is, but what's a buckler? A buckler is a little shield. We're on point number two. A buckler is a little shield that you have on your forearm. So you've got your sword in the other, in the one hand, and you've got your, your buckler on the forearm, and the buckler helps you to avoid or block blows from the enemy whilst you're in hand-to-hand combat, and the, the sword you're now attacking. So, so, so if God's a buckler, stay with me. If God's a buckler, that means then he's shielding you, but he's shielding you whilst he's anticipating you being in hand-to-hand combat. That means then that God is expecting you to be in a situation where you've got to fight. We're talking about overcoming hurdles through Christ. If God's a buckler, that means then God's expecting you to be in a situation where you've got to fight. He's shielding you, but you're also fighting. So um, it looks like from this verse, that God is fighting with you. Or better, or better, or better way to say that, he's fighting alongside you. Look at the beginning part of the verse. We're still in verse four. Just to try and really unpack what I'm saying here. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. Many times when we think about this verse, or this idea, this concept, he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. Many people's mind goes to Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, where, Jer- where Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under, his, under her wings, and you would not. But that's not what I'm thinking about um, this afternoon. That's later on. The first time you see this idea of being under God's wings and trusting and God in the capacity of being under his wings is in the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, Ruth is facing a hurdle. She's facing a hurdle. Her husband's passed away. Her father-in-law has died. She's left her life in Moab. She's left all her blood relatives in Moab. 
She's left her friendship circle. Any job that she may or might not have had, she, she's left it. And she's left it for a life of poverty in Bethlehem. Because she wanted God to be her God and she wanted God's people to be her people. So she gets to the place where her and Naomi are staying. And instead of sitting around in the house, waiting for God to perform a miracle of provision, she gets out of the house and starts collecting some of the crops left behind by the people who collect crops in Boaz's field. And in the first conversation Boaz has with Ruth, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, and he says something very interesting. He says to her, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Trust in the Lord led to Ruth or led in Ruth or spurned Ruth on to action, not in action. Like the buckler, God was protecting Ruth and was fighting alongside Ruth, but Ruth was also fighting. Um, the miracle for Ruth or the providence happened for Ruth. When Ruth got out of her situation, she saw herself, she saw what she could do, she saw the hurdle that she had, and she knew she had to try and do something. So she started collecting crops. And the miracle was, is that God worked it out that she was collecting them in Boaz's field. But the miracle would never have happened if she never went in the first place. Point number two. I'm on point number two. When you're facing life's hurdles, and as you're fighting life's hurdles, know that you've got to do your part, but that God, remember, Christ fights with you. He fights with you. I think probably a better way to say this, and I'm trying to say this. Ellen White comments in Desire of Ages, page 535. This is one of my favorite passages, just touching on this issue at least. Where she says, dealing with um, the removal of the stone from Lazarus's tomb and before Lazarus is raised to life, she says in page, 53, page 535, paragraph, paragraph 3, excuse me, take you away the stone. Christ could have commanded the stone to remove and it would have obeyed his voice. He could have bidden the angels who were close by his side to do this. And at his bidding, invisible hands would have removed the stone. But it was not to be taken away by human hands. Thus, Christ would show that humanity is to cooperate with divinity. What human power can do, divine power is not summoned to do. God does not dispense with man's aid. He strengthens him, cooperating with him as he uses the powers and capabilities given him. Ruth had to do what she could do. And the stuff that Ruth couldn't do, God did. Point number one is, as you're dealing with life's hurdles, as you're dealing with life's um, journeys, as, you, as you're cracking through life's concrete, as you, as you find yourself in different circumstances that you need to deal with, Point number one is, remember that God is for you. And point number two is, is that remember that God fights with you. He fights with you. But as he fights with you, you need to fight with him or alongside him. I'm seeing the time, so we can't work this more. Um, 
We can't work this more. Let's move on. Point number three. Point number three. Someone's saying in their mind, Sam, I'm hearing you. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I get it. I get it. I'm hearing you. I get it. I hear what you're saying. I get it that life's challenges come up. Um, things happen. We, we find ourselves in situations. Um, um, but what about those hurdles? What about those circumstances? What about those situations, Sam, where you're in that situation because you deserve to be in that situation? Like you did the wrong. And as of the result of the wrong that you're doing, you're facing the consequences of your action. You know, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I've sown, and now I'm reaping the results of what I've sown. But Sam, it seems for me that what I'm reaping, it seems like what I'm reaping is going to kind of put me in a box. It's going to stop me from achieving um, ultimately what God would have me to achieve. It is true that you reap what you sow. And that many times we find ourselves in situations and circumstances which are of our own doing. And many times those things can affect the way that we're able to do life. But stay with me on this next hurdle. Alongside this truth, I mean, I mean guys, honestly, honestly, just a pause, just a pause. If you're not in, get a hold of the book Desire of Ages and just start reading some of it. Trust me, there's some bits and pieces in there which can change your life. On this idea of you did the hurdle, she comments and gives a principle. Desire of Ages, chapter, chapter, um, page 25, paragraph 3. By his life and his death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin or ruin wrought through sin. It was Satan's purpose to bring about an eternal separation between God and man. But in Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. Okay. Yes, consequences are real. But what Christ offers you is more than recovery from the ruin that sometimes you can find in your life. Get the imagery. Satan thinks that by tempting you to make certain mistakes or wreaking havoc in your life, that he's making a mess of your life and that, and that, and that you're now going to be worse off. But what God does is, is that he takes those things he takes those things that you think are working against you and he does something with them so that by the time you come through them, you're better off on the backside having gone through them than had you never, ever gone through them. Christ works more than recovery. Remember, remember, remember when Moses strikes the rock. He, he strikes the rock. He strikes the rock when he should have spoken to him. He sinned. He sinned. Um, he sinned. And so because he sinned, he has to die. He's not allowed into the earthly Canaan. He's not allowed into earthly Canaan. And so um, he dies. But from this situation, Moses gets more than recovery because though he's not allowed into the earthly Canaan, 
God admits him into the heavenly Canaan more than recovery. The apostle Paul is going about persecuting Christians. God stops him in his tracks. Paul turns his life around. He gives his heart to God. And God uses this same man to, um, to witness to the Gentiles and works rough, pure of the Bible, a lot of the Bible through him. And he works miracles through him. And through life's Paul's experience, Paul gets more than recovery. Remember the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph. Joseph is sold as a slave. You're thinking there's no way that we can recover from this. The way to recover from Joseph's situation is for Joseph to be given back um, to his brothers and in, in Canaan and, and everything be hunky-dory. But what Christ does is he does more than just simply give him back. What he does is, is that he works more than recovery. Um, so Joseph becomes the, the, the prime minister of Egypt and he saves Egypt from famine and he saves um, his own family from famine. And after the whole thing, they're reconciled. I'm talking about more than recovery. Yes, I may have put myself in the situation, but if I leave the situation over to God, God can take that situation and from that situation, he can give me more than recovery. The thief on the cross is on the cross in his final moments of his life. And in the final moments of his life, he, heard, he hears from the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ himself, that you will be with me in paradise. More than recovery. I don't know what situation that you've put yourself in, but Christ offers more than recovery. Recovery doesn't always mean necessarily happy endings. John the Baptist died in a prison cell but well, what recovery can mean is, is that you will end well. Because Jesus Christ says that John the Baptist was the greatest of prophets. And though he didn't experience the happy ending that we feel as though some, or some people may think that he should have experienced, Jesus Christ, through him, allowed John to experience his full potential and he ran his course. And what God says is, I can still enable you to run your course. I can still admit you to the heavenly kingdom. I can still use you in the situation that you feel as though you've put yourself in. God offers more than recovery. And the reason why he offers more than recovery, I'm consolidating point three now, is because he's not simply trying to transform the circumstances around you. Is it because he's trying to use all circumstances to transform you? As I'm facing life hurdles, point number one is, remember that God is for you. As I'm facing life's hurdles, point number two is, is that God does life with you. And as I'm facing life hurdles, point number three is that God allows the circumstances to shape you and mold you. And sometimes the things that you put yourself in, like Don John Baptist in a prison cell, but God used these different situations, he uses these circumstances, not only to get us out of circumstances, but ultimately he's trying to transform you. What I've done in my own simple way is I've tried to take you through a sanctuary experience. Like if you if you if you try to make this thing practical for you, 
if you kind of do this through the sanctuary, you see that when you come to the altar of burnt offering, burnt incense, altar of burnt sacrifice, my mind's gone. Altar of burnt sacrifice. The altar, let's call it the altar. Where the lamb is, is slain and offered on the altar. And you see Jesus Christ hanging on Calvary's tree. You remember what God has done for you. And this realization of what God has done for you takes you to the labor and it takes you to a deeper cleansing, to a deeper commitment. And in, in light of what God has done for you, um, you enter into the holy place and you see the table of showbread. You see um, the incense. You see the candlesticks. And you see that God wants to, you to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with you in Bible study. He wants to spend time with you in prayer. He wants to go with you in witnessing. God wants to do life with you. And as you went into the most holy place of the sanctuary, um, and you see the fact that God is blotting out um, sins, he's, he, he's trying to do something, he's transforming your record, not only down there, but he's trying to transform your life down here. God's also transforming you. God wants to do something for you through the hurdles that you face. As you face life's hurdles, know that God is for you. As you face life's hurdles, Know that God wants to live life with you. As you face life hurdles, know that God is transforming you. A lady that I know was on critical care. I'm closing. And, um, she had a heart attack due to some situations. And... Um, Family were called. I was called over with Craig. I was with Craig. And you know when you, you your heart stops, you, you don't get as much oxygenated blood to the brain, and so she's unconscious and um, she's they put a I think they had to induce her into a coma at one stage. And um, Craig Gooden's there, I'm there, and Maxwell's there, and um, the family say, Can we anoint her? Can we anoint her? We're on critical care. Critical care, ITU. Craig and mine, sir, and we say a prayer. And um, when you're medical, when you're medical, or you've got a medical background, um, sometimes you're, you're thinking in statistics and averages. Statistics and averages. And you can know the prognosis of certain situations. And when this lady made a recovery from being in the situation that she's done through what can only be prayer and anointing, what can only be prayer and anointing, I realized at that moment that God is living and that he's working for you, he's for you, he's for you. Even when you're not aware of the situation, she wasn't aware completely of what was going on. Um, God was for her. God was for her. Um, while she was in the hospital bed, God was with her, um, making a recovery. And through the prayers of the saints, through um, her family, inviting God into the situation, God was able to transform her scenario. What I'm saying this afternoon, 
is that God can transform your scenario. Maybe the scenario might not change, but he wants to change you so that when Jesus comes back, he can take you home. This afternoon, man, if it's your desire to remember that God is with you, to remember that God is for you, he's not against you, to remember that God fights alongside you, and to remember that when you face life's hurdles, do so knowing that God is trying to transform you. And that in connection with Christ, you can break through the concrete that sometimes you find yourself under. If it's your desire to allow Christ to take you to the next stage of growth through the concretes of your journey, and to commit to a life of doing it with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you just to spend some time in prayer, just by yourself after this. I'm not talking about a long thing, but just to commit yourself in your own heart to saying, God, I want to do this with you. Dear Heavenly Father, as you come before you, Take us, mold us, change us, transform us. And help us to be the Christians you've called us to be. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.